It ain't that simple, mate. Hello and welcome to It Ain't That Simple, mate, the Bright Hope World podcast. Uh, here for another uh, episode to talk about uh, everything around missions and poverty alleviation. And today we have a really uh, interesting subject to talk about. It's five things the Western Church can learn from the majority world church. Uh, so uh, I'm Fraser Scott. I'll be talking about this today with Kevin Honore. Kevin, how are you doing? Yeah, doing well, Fraser. How are you, man? I'm doing good. This is this is an interesting subject for us to to grapple with. I wonder if if we're poking the bear a little bit here. Are we are we going to upset people? By suggesting the uh, Western Church has something to learn from the majority world church. I hope so. Oh dear. <laughs> All right. Uh, once again, the complaints to uh, podcast at brighthopeworld.com. Uh, so, Fraser Scott. At no, 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 no. Absolutely not. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not the one that's saying offensive things, Kev. I'm, I'm quite sure about that. So, let's explore a little bit the heart of this. I mean, we are fortunate enough to be exposed to the church in other contexts, in the Middle East, in, in Africa, in Asia, and uh, to some degree in, in South America. And there's exciting things happen there. You know, the, the the church is growing in a lot of these places. They're facing, you know, some, some really tough circumstances, but they're doing some really innovative and interesting things. And often those things look uh, a lot more like the, the New Testament kind of activities and contexts than what we see. So, you know, with the greatest will in the world, what we're trying to do here is is communicate some of that and, and share some of our observations. Uh, we do welcome you. And again, at the earlier stated email address, if you disagree, if you think we're being unfair, then pull us up. That's, that's what we're about. Uh, we're open to that sort of dialogue, but we want to share the things that uh, we see and the things we think are really strong in the uh, majority world church and maybe aren't quite so strong in the Western church. So let's let's... Uh, you know, enough prevaricating. Let's let's get into it. The first of the five things that we see that the Western Church can learn from the Majority World Church. Number one, some things are worth dying for. Really, some things are worth dying for. Now, this is this is interesting, and I guess this reflects the fact, Kev, that we in the West we're a little risk averse. We we like our comfort. We like our safety. Uh, you know, we want to get on with our lives. We don't want church or, or you know, Christianity to in- invade our every moment. We just want to kind of enjoy life and uh, and be safe. And but, shape it around our... And shape it around yeah, what we lives, want. But yeah. outside of the West, not so much. Talk to me about that. Yeah, this is... Uh, I remember once I was on a, a... Probably my second trip to Pakistan. And I was on this bus... And we were travelling from Islamabad to Lahore. And, uh, well, that no, was the other way around. We got halfway, and these guys got on the bus. They were uh, they were young guys, Muslims, you know, dressed in the full regalia. And, and I was kind of like, oh, man, I'm a bit, a bit worried about these guys. Because you have this kind of image in your mind about, the, you know, these radicals and... There were five of them, they were all cousins, and they all came in the t- all the way around me. So there was two beside me and two in front of me and one behind me. <laughs> were you sending some sort of I love you messages back home? Yeah, well, I was uh, I was praying. <laughs> anyway, they um, they started talking, and this was like five 
really cool young guys that had been offered a cousin's funeral, a uh, wedding somewhere, and, and they were hanging out. And, and I was sort of thinking, oh, man, well, how much do I say there? And we got to the other end and got off. And, and they'd invited me to come and stay at their house and, and all this sort of stuff. And I introduced them to, to our partner there, Azam. And Azam started talking to them about Jesus. And, and a couple of weeks that, later, that, went, that's taken a risk. went to their place and stayed with them and was been witnessing to them. And it's like, you know, here's me sitting there thinking, can I say anything? Can I even fess up to being, being a Christian? And, and he's kind of right in there. You know, it's like, well, that's what these guys do. That's, that's the, in a sense, the, the radical thing they do. They actually preach the gospel. <laughs> they they just they just unafraid, and I find even in my culture back here, there's that reluctance to say stuff when I should. When I know I should. Why? Why is that? Well, why is that? I mean, you know, you, you, the chances of you being assailed or killed <laughs> in New Zealand for sharing your faith are probably pretty slim. Yeah. Yet yeah. the places where you are genuinely taking a, a, yeah. a personal risk. People are sharing the faith left and right. Like, what's going on? Why is that? Well, it's it's about, you know, what's your understanding of the good news, I guess, and what death really is. We had a sermon at church last week. It was talking about this in First Corinthians 15, and they were talking about, you know, death for the Christian is actually victory. It's like, oh, that's a strange thing to get your head around. And so we, we kind of step back from that because we live in a risk-averse culture and so if if there's a threat coming you it's we we move on out of there where these guys step into it and as i read the new testament that's exactly what was going down there as well um you know from day one they were being threatened um they were gathered together for fear when jesus appeared to them and you know it was like uh the the work of the holy spirit was to produce boldness and courage in people for the purpose of speaking and talking and engaging with with the lost and and so if you know if these guys have this un- understanding that that this, you just have to be willing to sacrifice it all if if it's going to be successful so i mean i you know i think about some of the partners that we have and and you know they would love to have the kind of freedom and and openness and and opportunities that we have and and it might be fair to say that they would look upon how we, you know, face those opportunities, and they'd be a little bit you know, puzzled by it because we don't take them. How? I mean, you know, hey, look, this is not a beat up. You know, we're we're all part of this. We all feel that squirm and that discomfort. But you know, how do we take the lesson from the church outside the West and start to make the changes that we need to make? What, what, what can we draw from them? Well, I think you know we we do have to read the Bible a little more simply than we have. We I think we've made the, the whole thing quite complicated. And we're going to come to the whole issue a little bit later about about suffering. That we, we just we just have to be willing to count the cost. I mean, Jesus said that. Take up your cross every day and follow me. If you don't do that, it's, you know, you're like the guy who's looking backwards while he's playing a field. And, uh, and, and, and that's not what it's all about. And so... Yeah, I I don't know, Fraser. I I think we you know the, we just somehow the gospel has to has to totally radically invade our our space, our, our, our the whole life. And I, I remember reading verses in First Thessalonians where it talks about this. You know, the, we the gospel that we preached to you came not just with words, but with 
power with deep conviction and with the Holy Spirit. And and I think, uh, you know, we haven't allowed God to do his full work often in our lives. And and, and if if there is this this fear there, then then we're not trusting him. And, and maybe our faith is not as real as we think it is. I remember doing a, a course oh, many, many years ago now, and it's, you know, the, the problem often in church is that we are too focused on external conformity and not enough on inward transformation. And that, that really st- stuck with me. And I, I wonder, is, is that our primary currency in, in the Western churches? As long as you look right, you say the right things, you don't smoke cigarettes, you don't swear, you don't drink too much, you're golden, you're on the right path. But it seems that you know the, the people that we see in the places where the church is really growing not so concerned about that. Sometimes a little rough around the edges, sometimes playing on the margins, but they're focused on the really deep stuff, which is you know, taking what they have, their, their knowledge of, of God, and making sure that that's available to others. Yeah, yeah. yeah regardless yeah. of the risk. Yeah, regardless of the risk. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard, isn't it, when you grow up in a Western culture where, where everything is, is laid on for you. I mean, you could live your whole life without facing any risk here. Um, and if there is risk, you can take insurance out. You know, mm-hmm. you know or the state's going to kind of, uh, you know, you're going to fall into the into the net that they've put it there for it to, to stop and you know, to stop you landing too hard. There's just so much padding around us that it's it's crept into our faith as well. It's interesting, you know, we, we did a recent podcast on COVID-19 and, and commented on the resilience mm. of the West. And, and that's really it is, you know, we, we've shored things up with insurance and welfare and, and all these sort of things so that life is risk-free. But then all of a sudden something comes along that we can't counter it. We can't take a pill for it and we panic. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think, you know, when you, when the next one we talk about might be this whole suffering thing. If we, you know, get to that... Um, Suffering produces something. Well, let's let's talk about it. let's yeah. make the transition. So the, the, we're talking about the five things the Western Church can learn from the majority world church. Uh, the first one, some things are worth dying for. Let's transition into the second, which is that suffering has unique value. And you know what we see in the majority world church is suffering is not something to be avoided at all costs. Something is suffering has value. Suffering is. To be embraced, perhaps not sought after, but suffering's okay. Suffering has has value. What what do you see in that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, yeah, you don't have to go too far into into some of Paul's writings to realise that that character is produced out of suffering, out of difficulty. Uh, you know, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter five, and, and and Peter talks about it as well. Is that there is something that suffering produces that nothing else produces, and, and and this could be in a general way, but more specifically, suffering for being a, fo- a follower of Jesus. And to be fair, we we don't suffer for you know in in that context, and so th- there is something missing from our you know our experience. I think now whether you. We need to start taking some intentional steps to suffer. I don't know whether that we should go. Well, why don't you start and let me know how you get off? <laughs> no, no, let's do this together, Fraser. <laughs> um, and and I mean, some of the early fathers understood this stuff. I mean, you know, to the point where they would they would even 
you know, cause pain to themselves because of what they knew that would produce. And I'm not suggesting we start, from, you know. I'm just, I, I'm reading a biography of Martin Luther at the moment, mm. you know, and, and this was the guy that kicked off the Reformation and he said, hey, you know what, I don't think you can actually sell salvation and forgiveness. That doesn't seem quite right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, he was summoned, and, you know, with the intention that they were going to burn this guy at the stake. And he says, radio. You know, I, I don't care. This is the truth, and I'm going to give my life for it if I have to. Uh, and, you know, I guess this is related to number one about taking risk. We we avoid this stuff like the plague. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're very closely related. The, the, the fact that we, we're reluctant to speak sometimes is because that the strength and the power and the courage and the bravery hasn't been produced in us so that we can speak easily in, in the face of, you know, in our case, not very much in terms of opposition or, or or loss or potential loss because of what we say. So, you know, I think there is some there's there's a, a strong connection with that. We we grow up in a soft culture and environment. There's little resilience built into our lives, into our faith. Therefore, we step away rather than into anything that looks like trouble. Right. So the the lesson from the the majority world churches, if we want to be effective as believers, we have to. We have to be okay with suffering, at least to, to some yeah. degree. Yeah, absolutely, and and then that produces something in us. But there's a, there's another thing related to that as well. Is is not all suffering is is from the outside in, or 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 is is opposition. You know, if if you and you know for those who who have intentionally got involved in other people's lives, there's there's suffering involved in engaging with people even. Mm. You know, I think of those verses. You know, carry one another's burdens. That, you know, when you when you carry someone else's burden, some of their burden ends up on you. Mm. You share some of that stuff. You share some of that stuff. Otherwise, you're not actually carrying it. So you're lifting some of the load off from them, and placing it on yourself. And 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 there's suffering in that. And and so as as I look at the as I look at the Western Church. We've resorted to standing at a distance, talking to people, preaching at people, creating programs for people to attend. But are we really carrying their burdens? Have we got close enough for those people to be able to unload on us? Yeah, do we get in the muck with them? Do we? Yeah, yeah. And and I think no. In general, no. We we haven't we haven't been able to do that very successfully here uh, because it costs too much to do that. Or we're leaving that to the professional to do it for us or for the state to do that for us or some agency to do that for us. I was listening to a uh, sermon on the way in this morning and the guy was talking about the suffering of forgiveness. And he was saying, you know, that it was a a sermon on Jonah and he said, you know, there's a real lesson in that in in the way Jonah preaches the gospel, as as it were, not quite the gospel, but the gospel to the Nineveh. In his day. And, you know, the, the idea that when you forgive, you are paying, you know, whatever this person has done, you are paying the debt on their behalf. You are paying it by, you know, letting go of the the vengeance, by not, you know, constantly revisiting it. And, and there is pain. There is, a, you know, that is a suffering in and of itself to genuinely forgive a person and be able to love them and, and, and restore relationship and all, and all the rest of it. That You know, the idea being... Suffering is weaved into what it means to be uh, a, a humble servant of God. It's unavoidable. Yeah, totally. And uh, at the end of the day, every, I'll use this old word, sin, every misdemeanor, every sin has to be paid for in some, in some way by someone. 
and it's either the the person who's done it uh, or someone who will get in there alongside them and help them or the person who forgives them or deals with this. And that's the story of the gospel, isn't it? Well, and, and, and I think, you know, just take it more back into the external space. I mean, how many of our partners, how many of the people in the majority world, you know, get exploited? They, you know, they they do get hurt in, in ministry. You know, some are beaten, some are robbed when they're trying to help people. But, but again, this is not the reason to not do these things. This is just what comes with the territory. This comes is what it means territory. to be a follower of God. Yep. Absolutely, it does, and and they understand that. But you know, you've you've got to ask a very fundamental question in in, in this whole thing: is why are both in the last couple of weeks we've got two major partners in Pakistan, right? Why in the last couple of weeks have both of them been baptizing people and leading people to faith from another faith? And in my church, we haven't baptized anybody for months or even years, or in your church, maybe even decades. Why? Why does it happen there and not here? We would say that's, which is the most Christian? Which is the, yeah. you know, it's like. Where is the cost the there's, biggest? There's almost it ain't a, here. Yeah, there's almost a, a, you know, an inverse relationship between the, the amount of suffering that goes on and the, num- and the amount of fruit that comes. That's powerful. And it'd be worth teasing that one out a little bit, wouldn't it? But, yeah. Okay, so. We started off on our on our list of five things the Western Church can learn from the majority world church. Number one, some things are worth dying for. Closely related, number two, suffering has unique uh, value. Number three, money doesn't fix problems; people do. Now we, we've rung this bell a few times on yeah, this, this podcast, this, but it, it is worth repeating because mm-hmm. you know once again what we have in the West is money, so we. We see a problem and we look to see how we can fix it with funds. But the lesson for the majority world where they don't have the money is, no, actually, it's people. It's relationships. It It is getting down on your knees beside someone. It's standing shoulder to shoulder. It's sharing your heart. It's sharing their burdens. That's the stuff that really counts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I mean, there's a number of things related to this too. You know, in the West, we we either do that with money or we set up an organisation uh, or a committee. Um, and an organisation can't deliver care and hope either. It's it's got to be an individual. And then we may have to fund that individual. We may have to train that individual or place them in some kind of context like an organisation. But at the end of the day. Somebody has to sit down there and say, I'll step into this cycle of poverty or depression or downward spiral and and I'll intervene in there and I'll break this cycle. Somebody has to do that in any culture. And it's the same in the in the whole you know, the whole story of the good news. Somebody has to step in there and verbalize this stuff and flesh out the the gospel and, and do the and do the um the loving and the caring and the and the bringing of mercy and delivery of grace and all that kind of stuff. Somebody has to do that. Money can't do it. Uh, even if you pay somebody to do it, their motives aren't right. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here that that, that has to be teased out and, and understood. I wonder though if we have a structural issue because I mean, you, you see the church start off, and we're all we are all sort of arm in arm 
and we all have a job to do and we all have giftings and we all need to be ambassadors for Christ. But, you know, over time and particularly in modern history, it's like, you know what, I, I don't have time for that. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll pay my pew tax, I'll, <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll give and we'll employ that guy and he'll do it and that guy and he'll do it. I, I can't, I, I'm too busy, I can't get involved. So you poor pastors or, or youth workers or whatever, you have to do everything because I'm, I'm too busy and I'll, I'll get it done with money. But it, would it be fair to say we're, we're, we're seeing maybe some of the, the flaws in that thinking that oh, yeah. you just cannot replicate people and relationships like that. No, you can't. The, the only way that professionals can deliver anything is to organize a program because there's a few of them and a lot of people that need to be dealt with. The only way to make this work is to release everybody out there so that everybody's gift is being released into the into the community and 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 into the body. Um, you know, it, it is interesting that the, you know the body is the most frequently used um, metaphor for for the church. But you know, a body doesn't say like the feet don't say. Well, I can't really go over there. I'm going to pay the hands to take me there. Um, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a stupid thing to even think about. So, so we've all got to get we've all got to get involved in this. Yeah. I had this conversation with um, someone at church leadership fairly recently, and said, "Hey, you know, we've got to do this. We've got to mobilise the people. We've got to go out there." And the response is, "Look, that's all well and good, but people are really busy, and you know, we can't be putting expectations on people that are, you know." People are working long hours and all the rest of it. So we need to come up with a plan B because that's not going to happen. How do you respond to that? Do you really want to hear what I want to say about this? I don't know. If there's 100 people sitting in your pews, kick 90 of them out and just take the 10 who are ready. That's that's who who, who are your people. So you turn the temperature up. Turn the temperature up. I mean, you know, discipleship's not a part-time activity. It's not for every fifth weekend, you know. it's a lifestyle for all of us, and, and that's what we've got to get out of our heads: is that is that the the faith stuff is, is something we go to or an event we attend. And we talked about this before. You know, it's like this is a lifestyle. So, so as I'm meeting my neighbour at the at the fence at the gate post, or I'm going to to work with somebody in the car, or I'm on the bus with somebody. This is just happening as an inevitable part of every interaction that I that I that I make. I remember hearing a story just of a, a lady up our area who's retired, and uh, she was a bit of a, a bit of an activist, and and she didn't have a license. She'd never had a license, so she would get on the bus because she had a gold card. She could do it free uh, after nine nine in the morning. She'd get on the bus every day on the same on the same bus. And she got to meet dozens of people, the same people, day after day after day. And before long, a whole church grew out of her interactions with those people bus on that church. bus. Yeah. Because she she was intentional about using what she had and and just living it out every day. You know, she didn't you know, her husband had died, she she was by herself, she didn't have a whole lot to do. Bang, away she went and you know. Started in, in the bus, became a little home group, and grew into a whole church. It was just like, whoa! That's what it's all about. And that's it. I mean, you know, that I love that body illustration because you know, you you each of us as a part of the body, we have a job. No one else can do that job. Yeah. You know, you you can't replicate it. You're in networks. You you have a worldview that is unique. You cannot buy your way out of that kingdom responsibility. That's no, the truth. No, you can't. And so, you know, money isn't isn't the issue 
Yeah, it's 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 availability. It's a, a willingness to get involved, and the, you know, if this is a God thing, then money will 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 eventually become available. Uh, but it won't be. Let's wait till we've got the money before we solve the problem, or before we get involved, or just be, yeah. be what God's called you to be, and and live it out, and make it a lifestyle, and take your kids on that journey, uh, you know, all of that stuff, and take the risk, I guess, if you relate it to the other two points. Um, all right, Ken, let's take a little break there. Um, we're talking about uh, five things the Western Church can learn from the majority world church. Number one, some things are worth dying for. Two, suffering has unique value. Three, money doesn't fix problems. People do. If you are tantalized by this and you want to know what four and five are, join us again after the break. But uh, right now, we're going to pause. You are listening to It Ain't That Simple, Mate, the Bright Hope World podcast. See you in a minute. It Ain't That Simple, Mate is brought to you by... Lamai Coffee. Lamai Coffee is the finest quality organic Arabica coffee from the northern hills of Thailand. We at Bright Hope World import the green beans into New Zealand and we roast them to perfection, then sell them to discerning coffee drinkers. We're all volunteers on the team, so all the profits go back into great community projects in Thailand. And that is why we call it the world's best tasting act of kindness. You can order Lamai Coffee or find out more at lamai.co.nz. It Ain't That Simple, Mate. Welcome back. You are listening to It Ain't That Simple, Mate, the Bright Hope World podcast with uh, me, Fraser Scott, and Kevin Honore. And today we are talking about what the Western Church can learn from the church in the rest of the world, and particularly uh, the the places where we have partners in, in Africa and Middle East and in Asia and South America and uh, in the places where the church is really growing. Now, it just makes sense, doesn't it, to... Uh, look at where things are really working and drive some lessons from that, particularly given that, and I hope I'm not uh, shocking anyone here to say that the church is not necessarily growing that quickly in the West. In fact, if you look at some of the stats, uh, it's a little bit depressing. We're, we're kind of losing the battle in New Zealand, Australia, UK, US, Canada. Um, the, the stats are not heading in the right direction. So we're advocating here a view that says let's look at the places where the church is growing and let's derive some lessons. Now we've already talked about a few of those. We've said that we need to acknowledge that uh, some things are worth dying for and we need to take risk. We need to step out there as believers. Um, Second lesson was that suffering has unique value. You know, we've built lifestyle in the West on avoiding suffering and as we avoid suffering, we avoid so much of what God would say to us and, and disciple us and and the the places that we we need to grow in our lives and then thirdly uh, money doesn't fix problems people do and we in the west maybe need to wean ourselves off our reliance on money um, as a replacement from personal involvement and commitment so that's where we ended up we're going to pick up now with lesson number four and and boy if you thought your world was shaken Uh, Lesson number four might hit you a little bit. Uh, So prepare yourself because it's this. The Western way may not be the best way. And this is about 
uh, our, our, I suppose, our ownership of Christian, we te- of Christianity. We tend to see it as a Western thing that we, you know, we write the books and we influence the world and and you know whether it's it's Willow Creek or Hillsong or whoever else, you know, we lead the world. But but Kev, maybe the West needs to hang up its hat a little bit in terms of influencing church direction, growth, and strategy. Maybe we need to take our lead from elsewhere. Well, there's uh, probably a thousand reasons why we should do that. <laughs> um, in fact, probably more than that. I mean, the Western church is, as you say, declining, but it's the exact opposite in in most of the the South and East, if you like. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, and so, yeah, there's there's some seriously important lessons to learn there. And and I think you know we are being a little too slow at at engaging uh, or you know, or learning or being or being willing to learn or wanting to learn you know as you said all the books are being written still by the west yeah yeah isn't that extraordinary that yeah. you know that all of the thinking comes from places where the thinking is not really working well it's not producing what what it's meant to produce so so who's going to ask the question well what, why do we keep doing the the same old thing and producing the same old results. Something's got to change, and and you know there's some things happening that that are starting to change that. There, there's some some new, you know new writing coming out of new parts of of of, of the, uh, the the developing church uh, or the world and the uh, the church in the developing world. Uh, there's some stuff coming out of there now, which is is great. Um, but yeah, we we just have to we in the West have to get past ourselves and and just understand that that we are not now the the custodians of the gospel in fact we never really were we've had a kind of a, a, a certain style for a very short period of time if you put it into the context of the last 2000 years the west has only dominated you know for the last 200 kind of thing and and, and a lot of that history isn't isn't great in terms of the outcomes that it's produced either uh, but you know what's happening now is is phenomenal. I, I was reading a, an article by a guy called Bruce Koch, um, and you know he he talks there that the non-Western missionary force grew eight times faster than its Western counterparts, and this is back between 1990 and 2000. You know, so eight times more missionaries were sent from the non-Western church than from the Western church. And who's writing about mission? Still, the Westerners. You know, if who you know, which which countries are sending the most missionaries now? Uh, the top three are India, Korea, and America. You know, uh, so you know, there's it's not just that the church is is growing in these areas; it's it's become active and moving out from these areas as well. Do do we as the Western Church do we need to put the invite out to these countries to to Africa to India to to Asia to to the Middle East and say we've lost our way a little bit guys can you please come and tell us what we need to do because you were very kind in receiving our folks a hundred years two hundred years ago now the tables have turned and we need to learn from you is now the time to do that is it happening. It is the time to do it, and I don't think it's happening fast enough. It's too much arrogance in the West. Yeah, would we have the humility no. to receive these no, people? No, we don't, and that's why the gospel's not working in our culture because of this arrogance as well. You know, we we just we 
I mean, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should be listening twice as much as we're talking. We we just don't have the capacity to do that in the West. Um, and so, yeah, we have to seriously start listening to to what's happening there and, and learning from it. It's, you know, there's too much Eurocentrism in the in in the whole missions leadership area. Um, I mean, there's some small changes starting to happen, but that's still too small and 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 too slow and and, and don't get me wrong there's not in saying this we would create you know we would be treading a, a very kind of tricky pathway because it's not going to be all easy and it's not going to be an easy pathway to do this there'll have to be a lot of lessons learned i mean you know even nowadays where where there are you know Multicultural missions teams they're fraught with difficulties because you know we we all bring our own our own issues to the table whereas you know back in the day i mean I was in a in a team in Zambia back in the eighties and we had all Kiwis there were i think eleven or twelve of us on the team all all Kiwis and so even though we were all different, we all came from the same place we you know brought one Australian into the team, and all of a sudden. Dynamics change slightly, even though we're we're very closely, you know, not that different as as, as close as it's possible to be from us. So I want to be clear what you're saying about Australians. Here. Are you saying that if you bring an Australian into your team, they'll wreck your team? Is no, that no, 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 I, no? You know, no, they just... raised the they raised the IQ. In team, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, wow, not at all. But 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 you add in, you know, in that twelve, if you had five different or six different ethnic backgrounds or or. or or um, national backgrounds, and it, it would, you know, create all sorts of other issues that would have to be dealt with that weren't, didn't have to be dealt with if you had a monocultural team. Um, so that there are, you know, there's uh, there will be a lot of other issues that will be introduced once we become. You know, this will come as a surprise to some people, I, I think, because. You know, we tend to think we're purists in terms of of the gospel, in terms of our Christianity. That we we read what's in the Bible and we put it into practice. And you know, I imagine there'd be some that would be scratching their heads and say, "I, you know, I don't, I don't see the sort of cultural differences in terms of the practice of Christianity." But I think about a, a an example that was given at a conference we were both at in, in India, and you know, it was a quote from a professor, um, University of Zanzibar, I want to say, but I, I may have that wrong, but. And he said, you know, when the the gospel came from Europe to Africa, it was wrapped in plastic. You know, the the bread of life was wrapped in plastic. And, you know, the plastic being all the cultural traditions and and all the norms. And, and that, you know, we in Africa choked on the plastic for decades and centuries. And it's only relatively recently that we've understood that we can pull plastic off and enjoy the bread of life. We don't have to choke on plastic. Now, I'm really curious about this because, you know, might we be choking in New Zealand on our own plastic? You know, is there a, a sense in which we need to, you know, look to Africa and the Middle East and Asia who are enjoying the bread of life and it's being shared and others are taking it? Are, are we choking ourselves and our communities on plastic that doesn't need to be there? Yeah, totally we are. Totally we are. And, you know, it's it's all the superficial stuff that, it divides us, you know. When when we are arguing about the colour of the walls on the sanctuary, or what 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 sort of carpet we should put in the kids' ministry room, and and all that, all that sort of stuff, it's just a joke. Um, 
and and so yeah, we we, we just have to to get serious about about you know what what's what's priority and what's not. And and of course, this is one of the issues that's taken the church in, in a lot of the developing countries so long to 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 chew through the plastic. You know, I mean, in some cases, you know, the, the gospel. In some form has been there for a hundred years or more, you know, two hundred years. But it's only now that it's it's actually flourishing in its own context. Um, so it, you know, it's taken generations to get through, and, and generations of of difficulty to get through. Um, Let, let's poke a few sacred cows here, Kev. Let's let's cause a stampede. Give me some examples when you look at the the Western Church in contrast to the non-Western Church. What are what are some plastic wrappers that maybe need to be rethought? Um, a lot of it's style. There's a real today because of globalization and and access through you know different multimedia. Uh, there's a there's a um, a really pervasive kind of evangelicalism that that just is out there and and so you know as i travel through africa i see pastors there mimicking you know the big western televangelists and and all of the externals and they just you know literally word for word are just copying what they're saying as they church as concert yeah Mm. yeah and 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 you know the whole the whole peripheral stuff around a, a lot of the prosperity stuff that's going on and the externals of that, the trappings of, you know, of the benefit you get from being a Christian and, and all this kind of stuff. And do, do we want to go on record here about our views of prosperity, theology, its attractiveness to the poor, and just how nefarious uh, a message that is? <laughs> No, let's not go there this time, Fraser. Although I would invite some people to come down to the leprosy mission <laughs> and do their miracles down there instead of in their sanctuary when they can, you know, manipulate. <laughs> Once again, that's complaints to <laughs> podcast at brighthopworld.com. Attention, Kevin Honore. Yeah, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff around the outside that uh, that that has to be stripped away if if we're going to be really serious about it, and and where they're able to do that, um, you know, real life, real growth, real transformation is going on. So, if you're um, a church leader, you, you, you want to at some point pause and say, are, are there any barriers here that don't need to be here? Are there things that we are doing? Are there burdens that we're putting on people? Are there forms that are alienating mm. people that that are not core that are not not part of this that are um, that are unnecessary and maybe actually pushing people away. Yeah, I, I remember. When, yeah, when when we lived in Africa, I remember one a missionary talking to me about it, and he was a bit of a skeptic, you know, and pretty scathing about some of the colonial aspects of of mission activity. And, and his theory was that you know what what had happened was the early missionaries had picked up a church in England and put it on a ship and brought it out and plonked it in the <laughs> middle of Africa and said this is how you do it guys uh, nobody had actually said well this is why you do it now that he was probably being uh, uh, you know a little overly harsh because a lot of the early guys did a really good job but but at the end of the day whenever we cross over from one culture to another we have to be able to strip out the 
the cultural baggage that we're taking with us and and uh, get as close to the the heart of the issue as possible. And 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 a big part of that is teaching people to read and interpret the scriptures themselves and feed themselves as quickly as possible. And I think you know in many cases we we took too long with that in the past. Mind you, there were a lot of reasons for that. Uh, but but these days, there's you know a lot of those excuses have gone. I mean, you know, in the in the past, you'd go to a place and and people couldn't even read; they didn't even have a language that was written down. So they had to go through all the process of developing that and you know all that kind of stuff. We we don't have that kind of excuse now. We, we've we've got to help people learn to feed themselves. And and to me, that's one of the tragedies of of you know a lot of the the churches that I observe, even in in, in parts of the developing world, where the pastor is, you know, he's the source of knowledge, the breeding dependency. Yeah, and he's and they dependent on him. And if if that guy's not there, you know, what are we going to do? Um, and so there's very little discipling going on. There's a lot of shouting and yelling and come up the front and get this blessing and this miracle and blah 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 blah. Um, put those people outside by themselves with their with their Bible and just see how long they'll survive. That's what it's all about. And and um, and where that's happening, things are things are going off. Well, because you, you're creating a, a a force, an army to get, to go out there and do things. You know, as we said in one of the previous ones, to you know to take the risk and and off they go. But they're they're still drinking milk after 20 years in in the church. What a grotesque picture that is, isn't it? And you know the other grotesque picture is you you know you've got fat armchair generals sitting around <laughs> pushing out the cannon fodder to go out and do the work. It's it's not about that either. It's about leaders of churches saying, "Let's go together out into the world and let's meet where the, you know meet meet the people who need to hear this message and let's all go together and come on, let's get out there and go." Um, it's not you know directing the traffic or 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 pushing out the the minions to do do the work. It's 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 all of us together going out with whatever gifts we've got and and engaging with and and when that happens, we'll find ourselves in the most desperately dark places in the in, on earth. Absolutely, um, that's, that's where it leads to. It's where it, where we end up. All right, let's draw that uh, to conclude. We could keep talking about this one for quite some time, I suspect, Kev, but we have to respect the time of our listeners. So we are talking about five things the church can, uh, the Western Church can learn from the majority world church. Number one, some things are worth dying for. Number two, suffering has unique value. Three, money doesn't fix problems. People do. Uh, number four, the Western way may not be the b- best way. And then let's bring it home with number five. Young people and women are leading the charge. <laughs> now this is this is again, you know. This is is kind of ironic that uh, you and I are, are neither young uh, nor women, um, but you know we can recognise that this is the case in in the the developing world, in the majority world, that the movers and shakers are often the women and the young people. What what do we take from that? Well, I mean, if 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 you just contrast what's happened in the West and what's happening in the developing world, I mean, in the last forty fifty years, as the Western Church has died. You know, it's it's being led by middle-aged white men, and they are the ones who are responsible in many ways for it on that uh, declining. Uh, I'm not going to. What do we do wrong though? I mean, you know, I'm a middle-aged white man. I mean, obviously, a lot, lot younger than you, Kev. But <laughs> w- what is it that we bring to the table that's that's causing these issues that that women and young people don't? 
Well, well, we're only one part of, we're only one sector in a society, and 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 I, and I think there's a you know a serious misreading of the scriptures, especially the New Testament, in in terms of church leadership and 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 some evangelical theology just keep you know promoting this idea that it's that it's it's men who are leaders. Um, I grew up in a background where you know women's you know role was to just stay quiet and be in the kitchen and produce babies or whatever. And, you know, men were the ones who were the the ones to do the leading, the up front. They were the figureheads and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, frankly, it didn't. It, it hasn't worked in terms of the church because, you know, the, whenever there's been a, a revival or a breakout, you know, these women and, and, and young people come to the fore. And when I go to places like India, I remember going... To a place, I don't know if you've ever heard of Rishikesh. Mm-hmm. It's where the Beatles went and were with Maharashi uh, Mahesh Yogi. Yogi and wrote a fair number of their songs. It's was not the, can, can I just say for the record, it was not their best era. No. Nor, nor was it you know, their best style period. <laughs> but they were pretty famous at the time. But anyway, they went to Rishikesh and Rishikesh is... It's a place way up in the highlands, about you know, on the, of, of of India, and it's it's one of the heart part places of of um, of Hinduism, and and you know, it's a, it's a city where not even Muslims are allowed to build a mosque, and not even you know, no Christians have been able to get in there and plant churches and all this kind of stuff. And one of our partners, you know, sent an eighteen-year-old boy up there, um, and he planted a church. Now I'm, I was as I met this guy and talked to him. I thought, how many eighteen-year-old Western boys are up for this? And then my next question was, well, why not? I, I have a nineteen-year-old son. You wouldn't send him to Rishikesh? Well, I, I was just going to say, if he got out of bed before eleven o'clock in the morning, I'd be really impressed. But I mean, it does, you know, it, it does suggest that perhaps our expectations of young people in the West are not quite the same. Yeah, and and that is part of the whole thing, and it's related to that risk. It's related to the suffering, and you know all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, and so you know, if, if I go to and, and particularly in India, the women and young people are just such vibrant um, dispensers of the good news, <laughs> um, and and it's it's growing on the back of those of those two. Two pieces of of the demographic, if you like, two components of demographic, and and uh, and while the men, uh, you know, retain their role as figureheads, uh, frankly, the growth isn't coming from them. Um, and so I would say, you know, if 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 the church is going to grow back here again, we have to release our young people and our women. And that means, I guess, we've got to give up the power and the influence yeah, and, and, and refuse to and, take it and start giving permission to them and take the risk of failing i mean yeah. what the heck you know you go back to the you know the, the the book of acts they were all pretty young people and women i mean they're the followers of jesus you know they were young people and women um and uh who hung around at the cross you mm. know when, when the when the chips were down and and who were the people in that upper room and and and, and so it went on and, you know it was just like that, that's that's where it was at and oh i just just thinking of uh, you know last year 
was it last year or the year before? Might have been the year before. We were in Madagascar, and just listening to the stories of these young Madagascar, mainly girls, who were in this team, these Madagascari girls, and 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 the things that they were dreaming about and attempting, and the change that was happening, and the 16-year-old girl who'd been married off as a 12-year-old, you know, she'd become a Christian and her 14-year-old brother was leading the Bible study in the village. And <laughs> and this was in a culture that was totally, totally non, non-Christian, just it's almost as far away from that as you could get in its natural state, you know. So, yeah, I just, uh, I just think where, where, the, where the church is growing, as I observe it, where the church is growing, women and young people, uh, at the forefront of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it'd be great to see things change here a little bit. But that's, yeah, again, it, it means the passage of power deliberately, proactively from those who have it to those who don't. And, and we do sound a little bit like, you know, progressive political elites here. That's not what it's about. This is not a, this is not a showpiece. This is not, you know, about trying to tick boxes. It's just the reality. If we want the church to grow... And I don't mean more people attending a Sunday morning service, and I know you don't either. This is about you know, new live faith, new new people you know, coming into relationship with Christ. Then we have to recognize the precedent that we're seeing around the world, which is it's the women and it's the young people that are leading the charge. And if you, if you look at places where the church is growing most, most quickly, it's not, it's not just because it's the young people and women that are going out. It's because... The demographic in those countries is often very young. Like, yeah. like the average age in, in, in some of these countries is down in the 30s, where for us it's probably in the late high 40s and early 50s or whatever, you know. Uh, and so it's, it's not just that it's sending the young people, it's just that everybody's much younger. And so they're much more open, much more willing to take risks. Um, you know, th- there's a whole lot of energy there that, that doesn't exist when your population ages. Quite right. All right. Well, there you have it. That is uh, the Bright Hope World list of the five top things the Western Church can learn from the majority world church. I, I hope that's been useful for you. I hope that has stimulated a bit of thought. Uh, if there's anything from that you want to uh, share with us or you want to push back on or you want to just downright complain about, then I would uh, encourage you to send an email to podcast at brighthopeworld.com. If you want to start a bit of an ongoing conversation, then uh, grab us on Facebook. Uh, you can also find out more about Bright Hope World on our website, brighthopeworld.com. Uh, we will be releasing more podcasts um, for the foreseeable future every uh, Tuesday, or at least Tuesday New Zealand time. I guess that's Monday US time. Um and you know, look out for, for some pretty interesting ones coming up. But for now, uh, we'll, we'll bid you adieu. Kev, any, any final thoughts? No, I would just say let those young people loose, you know? And encourage them to take a risk too, yeah? Yeah, take the risk of, of, uh, of failure, take the risk of carrying other people's burdens, just take the risk of uh, delaying their education for a year or two, you know, all of those risks that... That uh, will be required if if the gospel is really going to 
take off again in, in our culture uh, as we see it happening in other parts of the world. And that's what we pray for. We'd love to see the church grow in the West as it is in other places, but we are nonetheless excited uh, at how the church is growing yeah, in, yeah, in some totally. of these places. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Okay, well, I have been Fraser Scott here with uh, Kevin Honore. You have been listening to It Ain't That Simple Mate, the Bright Hope World podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to catch you again soon. Bye for now. Bye.